Delicious meets nutritious in the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one-ounce serving of wonderful pistachios has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor but want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors, like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. Have you ever noticed how a calm mind can really set the stage for a good night's sleep? That's the idea behind our new podcast, Good Sleep. Greg, our host from Optimal Relationships Daily, is here to help ease you into a peaceful night's rest with some positive affirmations. And these affirmations aren't just comforting, they can help ease anxiety and nurture positive thoughts, setting you up for true good sleep. So, press play on good sleep tonight because a good tomorrow starts with a good night's sleep. Just search for good sleep in your podcast app and be sure to pick the one from Optimal Living Daily. This is Optimal Health Daily, episode 2138. What about exercise? By Jesse Neeland of jessenealand.com. And I'm Dr. Neil Malik, your host and narrator. Hey there, happy middle of the week Wednesday and welcome back to Optimal Health Daily, where I simply read to you from the best health and fitness blogs for free. And on Fridays, I answer your questions. You can send one in at oldpodcast.com slash ask, or just send an email to health at oldpodcast.com. Now it is Wednesday, and like I do every Wednesday, I like to share an inspirational quote with you. So with that, here we go. Quote, may you live all the days of your life. Jonathan Swift. All right, now that we're in the right frame of mind, let's get right to today's post and start optimizing your life. What about exercise? by Jesse Neeland of jessenealand.com. It's a well-known fact that diet and wellness culture have screwed up our collective relationship with food and eating, right? Most people engage in socially normalized disordered eating habits, like diet. And a huge number of folks suffer from eating disorders, body dysmorphia, a preoccupation with their weight, or an obsession with health. Luckily, the visibility of this issue has led to more and more mainstream resources available for pushing back against it and for healing our messed up relationship with food and eating. But what about the damage diet and wellness culture have done to our collective relationship with physical activity, exercise, and movement? I would argue that just as many people struggle with disordered, negative, and harmful patterns in this relationship as they do with food and eating, but it's hardly ever talked about. The truth is that we've all absorbed just as many false and oppressive messages about exercise as we have about diet. Whether we learn that exercise is mandatory for weight management or loss, that one has to work out a certain amount or with a certain level of difficulty for it to count, or that being physically active is for other people but not us, 
our natural relationship with movement has been irrefutably interrupted and corrupted. After all, in a culture where we learn to apply moral significance and meaning to bodily factors like skin color, gender, height, weight, age, and ability, our perception of a person's value, character, and worth is influenced both consciously and subconsciously by the way they look. And in diet culture, we learn that the size and shape of a person's body is almost exclusively the result of their behaviors when it comes to food and exercise. Essentially, our oppressive biases and judgments about a person's character and worth end up applying both to their appearance and the behaviors we associate with that appearance. Plus, have you ever noticed how Western culture is obsessed with rugged individualism, personal dominance, productivity, and morality? We learn to associate hard work, discipline, logic, self-control, and self-sacrifice with a certain kind of moral superiority, as if these qualities make a person special or superior, and therefore more deserving and worthy of happiness, respect, love, and belonging. This deeply informs our moralistic view of exercise insofar as we tend to put discipline, effort, and self-control on a moral pedestal, and then put people who demonstrate those qualities via fitness on a pedestal as well. Then on the flip side, we learn that lazy and out of control are the worst things a person can be, and that anyone demonstrating these qualities via their body behaviors is bad, shameful, or inferior, and therefore undeserving and unworthy. Put another way, we learn to assign false meaning and importance not only to the way our bodies look, but also to the specific ways we nourish, move, and take care of them. This is how exercise came to take on moral significance and importance in a person's mind, leading to false beliefs like, I need to work out in order to deserve dinner. If I skip the gym, it's because I'm lazy and bad. If only I could get in shape, I would be happy and feel good about myself. None of these stories are objectively true, of course, but they feel true to the person who believes them, and they tend to carry a lot of influence over the person's behaviors and decisions around movement, for better or for worse. Plus, diet culture has painted moral significance and importance upon bodies and movement with a very broad and oppressive brush, leading to mainstream false beliefs, like 1. A person's weight is determined only by what they eat and how they move. Therefore, a person's body size can tell you whether they're lazy or hardworking, disciplined or out of control, and so on. 2. A person's health is determined in large part by their weight. Therefore, a person's body size can tell you whether they're healthy or unhealthy. 3. A person who is hardworking, disciplined, and self-controlled is morally superior to someone who isn't. Combined with the two beliefs mentioned, this would mean that a healthy person is morally superior to an unhealthy person, and a thin person is morally superior to one that's overweight or obese. And 4. A person's value, worthiness, and what they deserve in life are determined by their actions, which is to say, by their moral character. Combined with the three beliefs mentioned, this would mean that fit, thin, and healthy people have more value to society, are more worthy of love, respect, and belonging, and deserve a good life full of happiness, kindness, connection, and success. It would also mean that unfit, overweight, and unhealthy people have less value, are less worthy, and are undeserving of those things. All of these biases and beliefs stack up and combine with lived experiences of trauma and pain to influence how we think about, feel about, choose, and experience physical activity and movement. 
They can lead to disordered patterns like over-exercising, obsessing over exercise, and exercise addiction, as well as to feelings of dread, panic, shame, or exclusion that make a person avoid moving their body altogether. Essentially, once we give movement that kind of moral significance and power in our minds, neutrality goes right out the window. If going for a run today will make the difference between you feeling like you deserve to eat or be loved today, then running can no longer be neutral, right? Once it's morally loaded and has this sort of power over you, it's no longer a question of whether or not you should run. Now it's a question of whether or not you have value in the world or are worthy of love and respect. Oof. Anyway, I think we need to be talking more about our relationship to physicality and movement, how it's been corrupted, and how to heal it. After all, each of us was born with the innate desire to move our bodies, as well as the ability to take pleasure in movement. A positive relationship with movement is our birthright. You deserve to heal your relationship with physicality and movement, just as much as you deserve to heal your relationship to food and eating. Not only that, but healing and reclaiming this relationship is a powerful act of resistance, rebellion, and liberation. It's a huge F you to the systems of oppression that have been trying to control you, manipulate you, and make you feel badly about yourself. But how do we get back to that? How do we heal the traumas and strip away the beliefs and biases that keep us from having an easy, pleasurable, and fulfilling relationship with movement? For me, the answer is an extension of body neutrality, which we might call exercise neutrality or movement neutrality. In other words, we can apply the principles of body neutrality to our behaviors as much as we do to our appearance. And in so doing, we can free ourselves of the obstacles that block our natural relationship with movement. You just listened to the post titled, What About Exercise? by Jesse Neeland of jessenealand.com. Dr. Neal here for my commentary. Some of Jesse's statements reminded me of an experience I had recently. Jesse was talking about how sometimes we believe we have to work out a certain amount or with a certain level of difficulty for it to count. Jesse also said that we learn to associate hard work with a type of moral superiority, as if these qualities make a person special or superior. Okay, so I've been told I can be a bit competitive at times. Not all the time, but in certain situations, like Oh, I don't know, games that involve team trivia. Anywho, I like to think of myself as in decent physical shape. So I tried to complete a workout that my coach posted. And when I say tried to complete, that's not a figure of speech. I couldn't finish it within the time cap. So my competitive attitude started to bubble up. I complained to my coach about how I couldn't get through the entire workout. And instead of saying something like, Too bad, so sad. She said something I probably won't forget for a while. She said, well, by doing the workout, you just gave yourself some self-love, even if you didn't finish. That immediately put a halt to my whining and competitive feelings. What a nice way to reframe that experience. I may have felt like the workout didn't count because I didn't finish it, but hearing those words completely changed my attitude and perspective, which is what today's author, Jesse, was trying to say all along. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for being a subscriber to the show. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you back here tomorrow where your optimal life awaits.